Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. We're still with the Taoism. Uh, For those of you who do not know what Taoism is, it is a... Um, Uh, I guess I could call it a religion in China. And the uh, proponent thereof was a man by the name of Lao Tzu, and he lived 2,500 years ago. And he wrote a little book, <clears throat> and it's called the Tao Te Ching. And we are uh, somewhat going through the thing. And uh, the uh, little verse in it that we are talking about today is called practicing facility. And he says in this translation, which is Paul Karras translation, grasp to the full. Are you not likely to be foiled? Scheme too sharply. Can you wear too long? If gold and jewels fill the hall, no one can protect it. Rich and high but proud brings about its own doom. To accomplish merit and acquire fame, then to withdraw. That is heaven's way. Hmm. <coughs> I do admit that uh, Lao Tzu is a little difficult to understand <clears throat> now and then. But we look at what we usually call life, and it seems to us that it is an enigma. It's not at all the logical arrangement that we would like it to be, by no manner of means. It remains a mystery, like a riddle. Mystery always goes beyond itself. So you never, this is the end and all of this, and but see, it goes beyond itself right away. Life goes on and on. But we can investigate it. We may not be able to figure it out, but we can investigate it. And to investigate the mystery of your life is to investigate the mystery of yourself. After all, are you not the greatest mystery that is in existence? Hmm? If you don't think so, you better take another look. Hmm? You know, if a path, and people, they pick a path that they're going to travel on, and when they reach the goal at the end of the path, why, they're going to be totally enlightened. 
If a path is absolutely straight, one would never return to the point of the beginning. You would just go on and on and on and on and on. If a path is circular, one is bound to return to the point of beginning. A circular path leads one, it bends back, you know, to the beginning of the journey. And the beginning of the journey is what's important. You know, and I quote it often in the Gospel according to St. Thomas, when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, what will be the end? And Jesus, you know, his answer was, do you already know the beginning that you should know the end? It's the beginning. So logic, the way we think we think we think, logic follows a linear path. Huh? It goes from this to this to this to this to this, and it, then you think you've got an answer. <coughs> Mystery or life, you know, says, let's go the circular route. Even space is circular. Everything about us is circular. The way is circular. And circle means to return to the starting point. Mm -hmm. But you know, in this search, you know, for ourselves, you know, we want the whole process to be linear, like a ladder, you know, and we can all be these, when the Job's angels going up the ladder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we, you know, we got this thing strung out ahead of us that we're going to traverse, you know. And so we're either going up and up and up, or we're going straight out in front. And we forget that the search for ourselves is also circular. It bends it back upon itself. And so in the Buddhist thing, they describe the mundane world, our phenomenal world, our everyday world, as a wheel. Samsara means wheel. Hmm? It's a circle. Only a ruler, which is a measuring device, is straight. With a measuring device, you measure yourself and you put yourself in a box. You measure other people and you put them in boxes. And everything is nice and neat you think in your head and uh, you know so when you meet a person oh yeah you bring out this box and then you know all about them and then you put the box back in again and then you take out another box when you meet somebody else and oh yeah all about this person and you put it back in again you know these are measuring devices that we have how you think largely is a measuring thing like a ruler hmm now, you are not here to measure life. Hmm? Hmm. You're trying to find out what it is. You're trying to solve this riddle of life. And they call life, you know, the eternal return. There are the seasons of the year. There are the tides, and the moon, and the sun, you know. They always move in a pattern back upon itself, always circular. Everything, the whole solar system, all the planets in the solar system, 
and heaven only knows what's going on out there in the universe, but it's all bending back on itself. Hmm? Hmm. And in any circle, any wheel, there is a place, a point, huh? It's like a point further out. It's as far out as you can go, and then it begins to come back upon itself. You know, as I said, even space comes back upon itself. Life bends back upon itself. Therefore, says this Lao Tzu, <clears throat> do not take success to its ultimate, or else it will become a failure. Mm. Better it is to observe moderation than to fill to overflowing. If you wish to understand the truth of existence, it is propitious to keep the vessel half-filled. Now, this is very difficult, very difficult to observe moderation. When one begins to accumulate money, it's difficult to stop halfway. begin to fill your stomach, it is difficult to stop halfway. No? When you love someone, it is difficult to stop halfway. When you strive to be successful, it is difficult to stop halfway. Because at about that point, ambition steps in. And ambition cannot rest. Hmm? Ambition becomes very strong and very alive when it sees the goal. Now, I and mean, when you're halfway, you know, then you can begin to see that the goal is at hand. And up now comes ambition. But at that point, to suddenly bring in moderation to observe moderation. And he says to practice moderation now is sobriety, hmm? where ambition is drunk with itself. Hmm? When you get very ambitious, watch where it leads you. Hmm? So this man is trying to convey the art of observing moderation, which does keep delusion and disappointment uh, you know, sort of at bay, sort of. Hmm? The art of wise restraint. Hmm? The concentration of the point at hand. See? So that one can rest, as it were, before that wheel makes its whole turn back into the failure from the success. Hmm? Hmm? Impossible, he says, to use a tool and sharpen it at the same time. Hmm? A thing which you experience again and again and again and again loses its effect. What is it saying? It's difficult to be humble when I am so great. You know, if... <laughs> If you are all the time experiencing your greatness, 
you know. It loses its effect. If not on you, at least the people around you. <laughs> huh? If you are all the time so aware of your greatness, then you are the very instrument in wiping it out. You know, and it is a strange thing. <clears throat> People will come and say, you know, when I first started to sit for meditation, I had such a marvelous experience. And now there's nothing. Four year later, nothing. Right away at the beginning, this marvelous thing. And now nothing. Could it be that they're striving to have that same experience over and over and over and over again? The sword loses its edge with constant feeling. The effort, the very effort to repeat an experience makes for dullness. Life becomes stale when we demand and strive for repetition, that it's going to repeat itself exactly the same way as it has before. It can't. In no way can it repeat itself exactly the same. You know, and, and life in itself, is, it's, it's really quite strange. Always the contrary seems to take place. Hmm? One who doesn't make the effort to find a specific joy finds it. He has an experience and goes on his way and he will have the experience again. And he goes on his way and will have the experience again. But one who keeps trying to grasp it over and over and over, he loses it. The one who looks at his own life as a riddle, he will find its secrets and he will attain the full existence. If he looks at it just as a lot of little dots along the line of measuring posts, it's all in his head. When the hall is filled with gold and jewels, the owner cannot protect it. <clears throat> there was a man once, and we, we pronounce it Genghis Khan. I think the correct pronunciation is Genghis Khan. Hmm? He was a man who rolled over the, nine, the known world at that time, and he killed people by the thousands. And, of course, in the end, he became very fearful of his own life. Naturally. He made a great many enemies. He conquered people and made them do as he wanted, and they were enemies. And in his fear... You know, he began to doubt his guard. He had a guard around him, so many men to guard him. And he came to doubt them. So he set the guards to watch the guards. And then that didn't help. Then he set guards to watch the guards to watch the guards. 
And then he said guards to watch the guards to watch the guards to watch the guards. So finally, he had seven lines of guards watching his, not only his tent, but each other. That's how fearful he was. And he slept in the afternoon because he was fearful of the night. But it so happened that one night he was so tired he fell asleep. <laughs> and this is the night, of course. A horse broke loose. And it was one of his, and this created pandemonium. And the guards were all running which way and the other after this horse. And this man, Genghis Khan, his sword right there by his side, he picked up a sword and he rushed out. And uh, his foot slipped. And he fell on the peg of the tent. And the peg went into his stomach and it killed him. Hmm? No one had come to kill him. He died in his own fear. How often, <clears throat> when you are in situations, do you let fear guide you in that way? Hmm? And let us say a man accumulates great wealth, I mean, vast wealth, you know. Then he has to make arrangements to protect it. Hmm? And it's a web that spreads out further and further and further until he forgets that uh, he just becomes a watchman over his wealth. Hmm? And, it, you know, it was like the man, he was extremely wealthy, and he, he gave a lot of his money away. But one day he asked his secretary <coughs> if uh, there was such a thing as reincarnation. Would the secretary like to come back, be reborn <coughs> as this very wealthy man? And the secretary said, no, I wouldn't. I, I have no desire to be you at all. He says, you don't sleep well. You can't talk freely. You can't move around freely. You have no time for your family. The first one to arrive at the office in the morning is you. Your manager comes at noon. Your director comes at 1. The director leaves by 3. The manager by 4. Your clerks by 4.30. And the lowest in line leaves at 5. And you don't leave until 7. Hmm? You have to be, do all this to guard your interests. Hmm? When the owner can no longer protect his treasure then he is no longer the owner, he's the slave. The people always moving toward greater and greater and greater ownership, and then it bends backwards, and we become slaves to that which we strive to possess. Even education. The objects for which you strive becomes the master. And Lao Tzu says, possession begets possession, possession begets arrogance, and arrogance begets disaster. When arrogance about what you have done arises, <laughs> it is an ill omen. <laughs> When the work is done, 
and the name has become distinguished because of the work done, then to withdraw into obscurity is the way to heaven. That doesn't mean you have to go out and live in the woods or disappear altogether like Lao Tzu did, but to step back. To observe, then is the point to observe moderation. By keeping back the ego, by shunning the fame instead of running after it, thusly the wisdom of a, an awakened man is evidence. Hmm? There is only one kind of ownership. That's of yourself. We cannot be masters of anything except ourselves. When a man like Buddha, you know, he was a prince. And he left his home and his wife and his child to go out into the forest seeking. And people look at this, my Lord, you know, he renounced the throne. He gave away a throne. Hmm? And we marvel at such great renunciation that they did for themselves on the path. And that's a mistake to look at it that way. They gave up their own slavery. Hmm? And yet those who follow, very often, what are they? What do they do? They remain slaves. They remain slaves to themselves. They remain slaves to their emotions. They remain slaves to their notions and their ideas. And they do it all without realizing their own arrogance. So Lao Tzu says, when the task is duly fulfilled, make haste to withdraw and thus give no chance for your arrogance to crystallize. Hmm. Difficult. Hmm. The very moment you've worked for and you've toiled for and all that, and now you're going to just stand, either stand there or step back and let it carry itself on. How can it carry itself on without you? We have the stepping back, you know, a little bit backwards. We step back when we want to hide. We step back when we want to run away. When we've got sorrow and despair, then we just try to fade into the woodwork so that nobody can see us. You know, that's when we go into this obscurity thing. And it is a natural reaction, huh? You're going to hide so others won't know <clears throat> what you're going through because whatever it is you're going through, somehow or another you feel guilty about it. Hmm? See, and so failure sort of torments us while success really nourishes the ego. Yeah. When a man is successful, you watch him. He walks with his chest out, you know, like a peacock. You watch the peacocks out there. Huh? Yeah. He goes out of his way to meet people that he doesn't know because he is eager for all the world to know of his success. And when he's not successful, why, you know, then he's not so anxious to meet all these people because, you know, they could look at him and see that he is not successful. And so he hides from them. 
But at the moment of your glory, when you're rushing around, you know, and oh, dee doo dee doo dee doo, Lao Tzu says, step back. Just step back. Yeah, it's just a matter of just standing there, huh? Yeah. So it becomes necessary to break our present patterns, the patterns that we have developed now at certain particular points, to become alert in a different sense. Hmm? Do not hide in obscurity in the hour of defeat. Step back into obscurity when you are successful. In your hour of glory, if you just step back and just stand there, the ego disappears. And uh, when you are <coughs> defeated, you have some kind of failure, if you'll just stand there very firmly, and not throwing and conning, just stand there very firmly, the ego also disappears. Hmm? You know, it's because of the ego that we want to hide ourselves when we have defeat, and it's the ego that wishes to display itself, you know, in the hour of success. What else? Huh? Can you tell me what else? Hmm. When you begin to understand the character of this ego function, then you can begin to play with the ego. If you don't understand the ego, the ego plays with you. Hmm? Then so somehow or another we've either got the shoe on one foot or the other and it doesn't ever really fit. And you can experiment with yourself. Such little things that you can experiment with as far as this ego is concerned. So you're walking along the street and somebody drops something. Well, you see this happening, and so you rush over, and you pick it up, and you rush along to them, and here, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, you drop this, huh? And you give it back to them. You fade back. You stand there and wait for a thank you. <laughs> don't you? <clears throat> huh? And if they don't say thank you, you're disappointed. What's this human race coming to? Who wanted the thank you? The ego. You can't even let go of a small thank you. And then here you want to let go of all this so you can be purified and, and go to heaven. But a small thank you, you can't let go of. So you learn to practice in the small things. And then in the, in the big event, you know, you are well practiced and well set up and you can let go. you will allow you reach a particular place and you begin to see that you could be successful if you will allow huh, the ego just now to stand instead of getting all ambitious as to what it's going to do and get all puffed up as to what it's going to do if you just stand then the goal will begin to follow you They say this is the alchemy of success. 
you reach a particular place in your meditation and you just stand. Uh -huh. And in that way you will allow to happen what should happen instead of you trying to direct what you think should happen. Hmm? That's not such dumb advice, as obscure as he sometimes is. Huh? You know, uh, when Lao Tzu left China, he felt that his work was complete, and he was old, and he uh, was headed for oblivion, so they thought, because nobody knows where he went. There's a rumor that he showed up in Athens, and some of the Greeks, like Heraclitus, understood him well. But no one really knows. He left China, or he left this town, and went out to it, the borders of the civilization at that time, and uh, long gone. Anyway, one of the uh, disciples, noticing that he was leaving this morning, followed him. And he followed him from one town to another town, and until Lao Tzu finally realized this man was following him. And so he, Lao Tzu told his disciples to go on back. You know, go on back. And he said, go back. Yeah? And you will attain great heights of success. Thousands of people will come to ask about me. And you will have to be present to answer them. <laughs> How neat, huh? Oh, yeah. And this appealed, you know, to the reasoning of the disciples. Naturally, huh? We indulge ourselves in such rationalizations. All over the place we do. Yeah? It is only to do your work that I will go back. Huh? People will come and you will not be there to answer their questions. I can't explain it as you do, but I will try my best, you know. Yeah. And all the while, you know how he, why he was hooked? Because, you know, Lao Tzu hooked him into doing this thing. You know why he was hooked? There was the desire for fame and the desire for respect. He was the one now who could explain, huh? His master's whole life's effort all lay behind in that little village. And so the disciple returned to that little village, and Lao Tzu disappeared into obscurity. Yeah. And isn't it strange? Nobody even knows the name of the disciple. But Lao Tzu, oh yeah, 2,500 years later, we're still with him, trying to figure him out. Huh? Yeah. You know, and it's said, too, that Lao Tzu was born old. They called him old philosopher when he plumb ear, you know, when he was born. Hmm? Now, many people remain juvenile until they die. Yeah. You know, we see... Close up your ears. <laughs> we see old men, you know, playing with toys. Different kind of toys than when they were eight. But at 80, you know, there's still the toys. The play is the same. The toys are different. Childishness persists. 
You know, all the little things that strengthen the ego, increase our greed, you know, and our fears and our guilt. We're born babies and we die as children. Lao Tzu was born old. Hmm? That's something you can do something about, you know. It truly is. Now, one thing. Hmm? We have not created ourselves. What we have into a certain, up to a certain point is a lot of mishmash, huh? We have taken on our environment. And from, a, from the very beginning, somehow we didn't even choose the environment. We just absorbed mamas. Hmm? Certain tendencies you have, you were born with them. You didn't create them. And the self that you are seeking, you don't create that either. Huh? All you do is bring it to life in you, bring it to the fore. The ego function which you have, it rose without your bidding. You didn't have anything to do about that either. Hmm? But do you know who you were before you were born? Do you know who you were? Do you remember what you were before that ego rose? Hmm? What do you remember when you were six months old? You know, they tell me that the ego, you know, develops pretty good somewhere between three and five. So, you know, and from that time on, you can remember. So whenever your remembrance of yourself, that ego was, <laughs> here it's coming, huh? Yeah? What you are remembering is ego function. But what about what already was in which this ego rose? Hmm? It already was. You didn't create that either. That's the beginning that you're going to go back to without becoming that baby, and without becoming childish. You do this in maturity. Hmm? When that which we call death arrives, the ego crumbles. What now are you going to remember? Do you know anything except the ego function? Anything at all, except the ego function. Anything. Don't you think it's time you did? Hmm? You know, at the time of death, if we have given it an opportunity to rise in us, some aspects, or even an aspect of the self, you know, which we call I am. Oh, when the ego crumbles, there it is. But if you have given it no opportunity, how will the 
when is it going to come about? Somewhere along the line, there must be a turning back into ourselves at some point or another. Somewhere we've got to turn with this wheel instead of... Hmm? As a general rule, people go on nurturing the ego and allowing it to crystallize. And so flattery is sweet. Music to our ears. And it feels so good in here. Huh? You go back to the village and you explain the teaching. Oh, yes, I think I can do this thing. Huh? Yeah. The flatterer knows that what he is saying isn't true. When you flatter somebody, you know it's not true if you're just flattering, huh? And you who are listening, you know right down in here, you know it's not true. But when the praise comes, oh, how you revel in it. It's like a bird taking a bath. <laughs> huh? How you revel in it, huh? Somebody comes along and you're all dressed up and you know you look pretty good, you know? Fine. And you step out and you feel positive and it's great. And somebody says, you're the nicest looking person I have ever seen. You know it's not true. You All you have to do is get in front of the mirror and the mirror will tell you. <laughs> but you know what? When that other person says, you're the nicest looking person I've ever seen. We, we, we rationalize around. Well, that's his world, and in his world, I'm the nicest looking person he's ever seen, and therefore I am, and off you go and running. Hmm? Maybe they're right. I could be the nicest looking person. Hmm? Who is to say they are not right? Yeah. And uh, scandal, gossip, when you hear that. Do you accept it or do you refuse it? Very often we will refuse scandal. I mean, we begin, you know, if we know a person and all that. And besides, you know, why believe so much of that muck? Huh? But the glorification, however absurd it is, oh boy, huh? it seems somehow acceptable. And, you know, flattery never seems to have any limits. You know? It always appears with a reason. Now, how are you going to let go of the ego? Hmm? So, get acquainted with it. Huh? <coughs> Make hands with it. Make friends with it. Don't fight it. Just recognize it. That, above all, recognize it. You've got to stand still in order to recognize it. And in the standing still, you're neither going forward into the flattery and you're not going into obscurity with your failure. You're just standing and getting acquainted with the ego. You're recognizing it. And so it being what it is, it disappears. Hmm? You know... People there is in this thing that you are seeking 
there is freedom. And I don't mean the freedom to seek or freedom uh, is a, um, oh, well, there, mm -hmm, freedom. <laughs> freedom. Freedom, huh? Uh, to be yourself, uh, free of the ego, uh, uh, free of uh, all the claptrap that we usually carry with us. You know, it's like you've been carrying uh, ten suitcases, and you just set them down, and oh, such a relief. You're free of all this burden. This kind of a freedom. It's not the freedom that you can go out and do any damn thing you please. It, 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 this freedom, huh? The freedom to be yourself. The freedom to be spontaneous. The freedom to be enthusiastic. You know that you have all the keys that are necessary to find the freedom in your hands. And you keep throwing them away. And you wonder why you're not free. You've got every single one of them. Use them. Hmm? You know, when you hear a riddle, He used to tell a riddle about a man that was going along the way in, in, in a land where nobody told the truth. And he came to a crossroads. And he met a man who told him which way to go. Now, was it the truth or wasn't it? There is some dumb thing like that, you know? The riddles. When you when you start out to figure out a riddle, first thing you've got to recognize is that a riddle has its own rules. Hmm? Not necessarily your rule, but it has its own. So we have to try to understand the working of this riddle of life. How does it work? Never mind how I work. How does it work? Hmm. You know, when a hunter shoots, and say somebody's out hunting with a bow and arrow, and he's, he's bird hunting, ducks, whatever, they're pretty good-sized birds. Geese, they're bigger, easier to hit. <laughs> yeah. Now, he, wants to, he sees a bird, and he wants to shoot an arrow at the bird, and the bird's flying through the air. Now, he has to use some kind of calculations as to the situation, to this particular riddle. How is he going to hit the bird? Hmm? If he aims at the bird, he's going to miss. Hmm? He has to aim to where the bird will be by the time the arrow gets there. The answer is in the situation itself. The art of archery is to shoot the bird, the arrow where the bird is not.
If you're looking for happiness as the prime requisite to your life, huh? don't look for it where you think it's going to be. You will miss. In fact, it's better not to seek for happiness as a thing all in itself as such, huh? because then it slips through your fingers. You just do what is necessary to do, use the keys on yourself, and you will be happy. But if you're out there looking for happiness, you'll miss it. Now, if you can begin to see things in this perspective, your whole mode of thinking will change. You know, our philosophy about life and ourselves will be different. Our visions, our ideals will all be different. Hmm? And you might try it just a little bit, you know. Did you really find all that happiness going about the old way you were doing things? Did you find enlightenment the way you were doing things? Did you find truth the way you were doing things? Well, maybe we can change a little bit then, huh? <clears throat> no. But for heaven's sake, don't try to change and be the same at the same time. <laughs> That's the hook that most of you are on. Hmm? When you change, change. Allow it. Hmm? It's not so bad. You know? And a lot of people, you know, they're looking for God, <coughs> they say. What they're really looking for is an alter ego, a second self, one that's bigger and greater and more trustworthy. Right? Yeah, people very often don't trust themselves. So they're looking for, an, for a great ego with an ego. With an ego, they're looking for a greater ego. Yeah? Only now they're calling it by a different name. Is that going to change something? I don't think so. And if they persist in this route, and you look at them, if they persist in this route, they become very dense. You know? And if you question such a one, he's going to look down at you with a lot of scorn. What are you after all? Huh? You're a mere nothing. You're, you're running after mundane things. And here am I in search of eternal wealth. Huh? Yeah. You're a sinner in his eyes. He is the embodiment of virtue. Yeah. He's filled with pride in what he's doing and calling it renunciation. They're dense. Hmm? And he finds it very difficult to sit with you on such a low level. He needs a throne. Hmm. And where is he really? There was a Roshi once by the name of Tadasusu. And when somebody came to praise him, he would listen very attentively. You know? And then he would say when they had finished, You've come to the wrong person. I don't have those qualities. Hmm? And he would say this with such conviction, you know, that the visitor would believe him. And if somebody came to condemn him, he would be just as patient, and he would agree wholeheartedly with just as much conviction. 
And if someone came to him and said, I have heard that you're an ill-tempered person. And Tadasusu would pick up his stick and he would turn red with anger. Yeah? And so his disciples would question him, why do you do this? We've never seen you so angry. Why are you so angry? And Tadasusu said, well, that poor man walked miles to tell me I was an angry man. So wasn't it not right that I should at least show him my anger? Can you do those things? And after he died, they, everybody began to realize he just agreed with everything wholeheartedly except the praise that he wouldn't accept. Hmm? Now, observing moderation means there is no exaggeration of anything. It is an exaggeration to put deserving above serving. Hmm? Yeah. It is an exaggeration to look for recognition when the work is done. Kindness, which tries to appear kind, changes into unkindness by that very fact. Every too much resembles too little. Hmm? So, praise neither wealth nor poverty. In the both, man is filled with greed and fear. Observing moderation means to stay in the center. Hmm? To know abundance and to use it without becoming attached to it. Therefore, you can handle yourself and you can handle wealth. And it does not become too much. Every too much leads to disaster. Well, too much food, too much drink, too much anger, too much demanding to be right, too much discrimination, too much judgment. Any too much leads to disaster. Knowledge is good. Wisdom is better. He who blows himself up, exhausts himself. It is an exaggeration to exhibit one's possessions. Now, let's not just leave this as objects in your house. Your possessions are the things you have acquired in your world. Hmm? Those who set themselves above others lose their balance. So viewed from this angle, moderation is a question of selflessness. Observe selflessness. Observe moderation. And that is the wisdom of the wise. Observing moderation means to be still, to be centered. 
One who can abandon his self-interest in a thing himself is never abandoned and possesses abundance. Only he who does not allow himself to be externalized by the external but remains within and one with himself is secure. In the pursuit of his goal, he knows when to stop and not let himself be tempted by attempting too much. He withdraws within himself when his work is done. He identifies neither with his work nor with any kind of merit. Not attached with his creation and giving credit to that which worked through him, the Tao, the only one who causes completion. Hmm? The only one that gives the grace. Hmm? Okay, folks. Now may the peace and the power that passes all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christic consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.